Hi, this is Tony Roberts, and you're listening to WBAI in New York, the voice of truth since 1960. Morning and welcome to Code Pink Radio. Today we're coming to you from the studios in Washington, D.C. I'm your host today, Paki Wheeland, and my guest today is Samina Rezir, who is a peace activist, women's advocate, Pakistani. And uh, we're, I think, going to have a wonderful conversation about Pakistan, but particularly about Kashmir. And we're not talking about the sweater. So let me give you just a couple of announcements that I think are really important right now. Uh, many of us are certainly under the influence of Greta and so many, so many young and, uh, and older activists who are really so concerned about what's happening to our planet. Every time you turn around, there's another fire, there's more ice melting. Uh, just read something about major, major ice happenings in Greenland. So, Mr. Trump, I'm glad you didn't buy it because it's really got a lot of problems. Uh, however, we won't even go there. We'll talk to you about two things happening here related to the climate. One is tomorrow, Friday, September 20th. There's a student strike here, and people are encouraged to join students tomorrow on the lawn of the Capitol. So, um, so come out and show your support for our Mother Earth join young people who are leaving school to do that. And then on Monday, the 23rd, there's a movement afoot to shut down D.C., and we're not quite sure how that's going to happen, but it's a, it's a hope. If you're interested in joining one of the many, many affinity groups and groups who are working to uh, to call people's attention as as strongly as possible to the crisis we're in, you can uh, you can check out on Facebook the uh, shutdown DC. You can check out on the web shutdown DC, or if you're interested in joining the Code Pink Affinity Group, you can write to Reagan R A E G A N at codepink dot org. So those are the big things related to our climate and <coughs> activities you can engage in. The other thing I want to highlight is um, is two things that are happening in October. On October 11th and 12th, we are ha- hosting Cindy Sheehan and the uh, Rage Against the War Machine. On Friday, there will be demonstrations in front of the White House and all a number of nearby corporations who benefit from the war machine. So it's really an opportunity to cast light on these evildoers and to encourage them to change their ways. The uh, connection I see is that, we, and we, we often don't look at this, but a lot of us are becoming aware that the greatest polluter, the greatest polluter in the world is the U.S. military followed, of course, by other militaries. But since we live in the U.S., and this is our military, let's speak out and join Cindy Sheehan and others in raging against the war machine (coughs) on Friday, October 11th, followed on Saturday by the AIRS Summit. It's the Anti-Imperialist Revolutionary Summit. And that's a, a conference that's going to be held at St. Stephen's Church on 16th and Newton Northwest. 
there's a, a wonderful conference, lots of good panels. Medea Benjamin will be on one. The uh, ending the endless wars. What a concept. So we'll hear about what's, what we're doing to stop these endless wars and, um, and to get you engaged in joining us in doing that. If you're interested in that, would you please go to Rage Against the War Machine and, uh, both on the, on the web and on Facebook. Finally, I uh, just want to remind you that this is not, we're not just speaking to you, but we're inviting you to call in with comments or questions to 202-588-0893. But first, we'll let you know what you're going to call in about, and that is to come back to my guest, Samina. Uh, Samina Raiz, Razier is a peace activist, a woman's advocate, and will be returning to uh, Pakistan shortly. And so I'm very happy that we were able to have you on the program to talk about this very important issue that, uh, that as so many issues do, that are not right in our, our own backyard. They, they come into full focus and then they disappear again. And so we're going to bring Kashmir back into focus thanks to you and, uh, and your involvement. And, uh, it's because uh, Kashmir is your neighbor. Yes, thank you so much. And I think it's very important to draw attention to it. Uh, and I'm thankful for the opportunity provided both by Code Pink and WPFW uh, f- for allowing me to share what is happening in Kashmir, where 8 million civilians are under house arrest. They're not able to go out of their homes. There's no internet, there is no communication with the families living in the area or in other parts of the world. Uh, they're only allowed, uh, the shops open only for three hours a day to buy basic groceries. If people go to hospitals or any other need in their life, they're attacked. So it's a big group of human beings, women, men, children, who are under house arrest and people need to find out about it, learn about it and do whatever they can. So so let's back up for a moment because there uh, some of our listeners may be saying Kashmir, Kashmir. I know I know something about it. Um could you just locate it geographically for us? So Kashmir is um a contested area between three nuclear-powered countries. It's a total area of 222,000 square kilometers, almost as big as United Kingdom or the state of Arkansas in the U.S. It is uh, contested on each side by its neighbors, India, Pakistan, and China. India controls the area, the larger part, Jammu and Kashmir. Um, India has close to 43% of the land. Pakistan has another piece of uh, Kashmir, which is called Azad Kashmir, and that is close to 37% uh, of this land and the people, uh, about 4 million. And China has 20% of land, but there's no one living there. It's a border that links um, that part to Tibet and a province in China. So it's a valley between these three countries, and it's contested and disputed since 1948 um, when India and Pakistan became independent. So, as you know, the region of subcontinent, which is now India, Pakistan, and Bangladesh, was under the British colonization. So, so when there, there was, it was a British colony, India was uh, both the land of India that we know India now, Bangladesh, Kashmir, and Pakistan. Yes. 
So prior to 1947, that was India. There was no Pakistan. There was no Kashmir. There was no Bangladesh. Right. So there was always Kashmir as an uh, area the, and a piece of land. Yeah, as parts of India. But of the new India. countries in Bangladesh and Pakistan were not there. Yeah. So, so this is this is another lesson for us, I think, to to look at how um, what happens to a peoples to peoples after colonization, and how new colonization takes place, and that's uh, I think a, a sterling example of Kashmir, where it was once a, a part of India, and then the the colony, the the great colonizer, Great Britain, left. And uh, <laughs> I don't think they were so great. <laughs> I think that they left Let's a see. bleeding wound in many parts of the world. Yeah, the big um, colonizer. <laughs> uh, we could say big yes. and greedy. Um, so, for example, the Kashmir dispute. What happened is that there was a genuine freedom movement in India which was led both by Hindus and Muslims together. They both wanted um, freedom from the British colonizers. Later in the movement, even though it started as one movement, Pakistan's founder Jinnah was also part of the movement with Gandhi. Um, later, it became too uh, focused where the Muslims felt that they may not be able to live freely in a Hindu-dominated uh, free India. So then there was a new movement for a land for Muslims, which later became Pakistan. So when the division w took place, the Hindu-dominated areas, geographic areas, became part of India in 1947, and the Muslim-dominated uh, area, which was mostly uh, northwest Pakistan and Bengal, which is now um, uh, part East Bengal, which is now part of uh, which is now Bangladesh. So that was the division agreed upon and you know, paperwork done and all that. Even though when it actually happened, close to three, two million people um, were killed in movement going. Hindus going from Pakistan to India and Muslims coming from uh, India to Pakistan. It was one of the largest um, killing of civilians without a war. Now, Kashmir, which always had a special status because it is a beautiful mountain-surrounded valley, which is considered called heaven on earth. And even during the British time and before that, no, you know, India uh, has been colonized not just by British, but by many, many uh, people before, by Muslims, by Central Asians. There was a Hindu dynasty before. So this pattern of um, governing India has been going on for centuries. Kashmir always had an independent status during the British time, which is the latest colonization. Um, Kashmir was the summer capital of British because it was cool and beautiful and green, and it has one of the most uh, beautiful natural uh, scenery and locations. So at the time of partition, it was owned, the British sold it to um, a Hindu sort of king or, yeah, a king. And, um, a Hindu king. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I'm just saying it Hindu because yes. that's how uh, history says it. His religion was Hindu, Hinduism. Um, so he did not commit to being part of India or Pakistan, because even though it was governed by the Hindu king, 96% of the population of Kashmir was Muslim, and still is. Today, Kashmir is the only state in India that is Muslim state, predominantly, huh. 96%, and so was the case in 1947. So the Hindu ruler 
um, did not go with India because India was a predominantly Hindu uh, population area. So what the agreement that was made between uh, the Indian leaders and the Pakistani leaders, the British and the Hindu ruler of Kashmir was, let the people decide. Let the people decide who they want to go with, which I think was a good agreement. Now, did they have to go with anyone because they're... They they were uh, they had their own integral state, right? Yes. So they could have chosen to say we don't want to go with either India or Pakistan. Soon after, um, there were different kinds of fights. Uh, there were um, fights within Kashmir. What the Kashmiris wanted, they wanted to be independent. When um, the Pashtun tribes in Pakistan heard that that Kashmiris were being killed, they themselves voluntarily in 1948 came to Kashmir to um, help the Kashmiris. There was no Pakistani army at that time because during the time of partition, m- most of the Indian army and ammunition was given to India. It was actually one of the complaints of Pakistan that they didn't get anything. So well, they made up for it later. <laughs> they did make up for it later, um, often at the cost of uh, development, human development. So just wrapping up the story, um, at that time when the tribal Pashtun came to help the Kashmiri Muslims, at that time the Hindu ruler of Kashmir quickly said that he will go with the Indian government uh-huh. but he he did not consult the people so people r- rose up against it and said we were not consulted you made that decision so the issue went to the united nations now united nations had just been established in 1948 so it was probably one of their first cases and it was decided through a united nation resolution that was agreed upon both India and Pakistan that there will be a plebiscite in Kashmir where the people of Kashmir will decide their own future. And all three options were open. Would they like to go with Pakistan? Would they like to go with India? Or would they like to have their own independent state? So that promise with Kashmiri people has not been fulfilled since 1948, and that's their basic resentment so, against India. So this was the UN resolution of 1948 that that the there'd be a plebiscite and the Kashmiri people would decide their own fate. Yes, but this election never happened. It never happened. India did not allow it to happen. Pakistan has repeatedly said, yes, let's have the plebiscite. Pakistan has demanded the plebiscite at every international forum, but India has not agreed to it. As the, uh, the, uh, you, we were sharing earlier that the Indian Constitution of 1950, Article 370, uh, just stated that Kashmir has self-governance. Yes. Now, self-governance is not autonomy as a state. Is that what you're saying? So, as I explained, Kashmir always had a special status, which continued after the partition also. So, the earlier leaders of India, um, which I guess were more democratic and less uh, (laughs) religiously motivated, they all agreed to it, that a predominantly Muslim um, state in India should be able to govern itself because that was the whole premises of the division of India and Pakistan. That yes, for our, our listeners who aren't so aware of that, would you just elaborate a little on that? The the premise of the the division and wh- what what was the creation in in a nutshell of Pakistan? So the premise was that the Muslims in subcontinent demanded a country where they could they were able to practice their religion freely and they felt at the time of partition during the events leading up to the partition negotiations with the british and the indian 
um, Hindu leaders, they felt that that was not going to happen because they were minority, they were less in numbers. So they negotiated that instead of joining a free India where there will be a, a smaller minority, they would like to have their own country. That's how the idea of two-nation theory or Pakistan came about. So Kashmir also falls within that because it is a predominantly Muslim state. So the leaders agreed that they should also have the right to live in an area where they feel that they could practice their religion freely. That is why the promise of plebiscite was made. Now, they could have chosen to say, we'll go with India, but the plebiscite, and they could still do that today. And that's the fundamental issue, because what happened, let me bring you quickly now to 2019, what happened about 45 days ago on August 6th is that the Indian Prime Minister revoked the special status given to Kashmir in its own 1950 constitution, the article you mentioned, 370, that allowed self-governance in Kashmir, meaning they could have their own parliament, their own prime minister, their own uh, currency, their own um, um, flag, and, you know, local governance. And... uh, There was another article, 35A, which prevented non-Kashmiris from buying land in Kashmir. So you had to be a Kashmiri to be able to buy or sell land in Kashmir. So both these important articles were revoked. And immediately as they were revoked, India also sent 35,000 military officials, in addition to the 600,000 that are already there. Kashmir is one of the most militarized region in the world. It has more than 600,000 military there to control 8 million people. So majority of Kashmir now, the Jammu and Kashmir in the Indian controlled area is under house arrest, people are not allowed to go out, schools are shut down, offices are shut down, the life is shut down. And that's why we are saying, by be, we I mean peacemakers, human rights activists, women rights activists, please pay attention to what is happening to six million people. And I think that's that's really the cry. I mean, it's, it's I'm, I'm curious about your understanding of what led to this August 6th um, movement by the the Modi government to bring in more troops. I mean, 600,000 troops, are the, were these troops who live in, in, in the city, in the country, or the, the region of Kashmir, or were they all on the border? Because we, there, you know, this is all border police. Uh, yes. So there is military on the Indian side of the border and there is military on the Pakistan side of the border. So both because it's a contested border and there is military on the Chinese side of border. So each country has its military and they've fought four wars over it. Uh, when things, you know, when you have lots of young men with guns, <laughs> things happen. So there have been four wars and many, many Kashmiris have been killed. And actually, it's a usual happening that every month a dozen or more Kashmiris are killed. I don't think you even hear about it in the United States. You don't hear that every month there are close to two dozen or uh, Kashmiris who are killed on the border, some Indian fired, some Pakistani fired, mm. and... The world doesn't even know about it. No. It it, is now that this big thing has happened that at least the world has started paying attention. There is an organization in the United States. It's called Genocide Watch. And they have just put Kashmir on its watch list, meaning there is fear of genocide in Kashmir. And genocide is elimination 
of a certain group of population for ethnic or religious or whatever reasons. And we truly believe that there is a fear of genocide in Kashmir if the world continues to ignore it. So to go back to your question, what were those uh, 600,000 people, uh, military officials doing there? Controlling the Kashmiri people, not just on August 6th, but before that. So Kashmiris continue to live a life of occupation. Even when those two articles existed, the Kashmiris would have to go through check post or, you know, they are picked up, they are harassed, they are thrown in prison. Now there is a public safety law enacted in Jammu and Kashmir by Indian security and police that they can pick up any person in the name of public security and imprison that person for two years without trial. This is happening right now. And they picked up all the political leaders um, under this law. And nobody can do it because it's in the name of public safety. But, you know, we need to question these laws that are clear violation of international humanitarian law, human rights law, all the human rights standards that all of us throughout the world have worked very hard to get and now they're just being pushed back. You know, you're, you're talking about this, and you're putting me in mind of so many places. You, I'm, you know, we talk about this occupation, and I think about Gaza and the West Bank, um, and and I think about these these places like Bahrain, which is a small country, and uh, and similar events are, are occurring there. A lot of yes. this is post-colonization. A lot of it is uh, is current geopolitics, and uh, and I'm wondering what 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 do you think is the the value of Kashmir? Uh, what is what is it that that the uh, the Modi government is bringing thirty five thousand more to augment the six hundred thousand troops um, around and in Kashmir, and uh, and the Pakistanis? Or what's the, what? How are they responding? So I don't live in India. I cannot speak to, you know, what is the motivation in India or what do people think in India. But there are Indian activists, there are Indian writers. Andhra Roy has written extensively on Kashmir. Uh, Amartya Sen, a very respected uh, scholar from India, has written about this issue. So I urge the listeners to please read what Amartya Sen has written, what Andhra Roy has written, and what many um, uh, Indian journalists, Indian activists, and even citizens have come out. There have been huge protests in India against this. Um, Sashi Tharoor, a politician, uh, a parliamentarian of Indian Congress, has come out and said that this is a... a, a undemocratic act. It is a violation of Indian constitution. It is a violation of international human rights standards that India is part of. So um, even people, a large number of people in India do not agree with it. And they look at it as as something extremely wrong and a human rights violation. In Pakistan, uh, they have been a lot of protest against this act. So Pakistan, because Pakistan is also majority Muslim and Pakistan has control over a part of Kashmir that is right next to the Indian. So it's like literally one group of people living across border. It's like the Mexico border in in the U.S. or, yes. you know, yeah. where families, half of the family lives on this side of the border and half lives on the other side of the border. And because our um, countries and societies are more traditional, they marry within the tribe and within the same group of people. So there is great um, affiliation and connections. And when these borders were forcefully created, and there's been a United Nations military observation mission on the Kashmir border since 1949. 
families were separated, just like the families are separated in the two Koreas. So there is a lot of human values and relations at stake across these two borders. And we have no idea of the daily sufferings that Kashmiris go through. Yeah. Well, we're, I'm having this wonderful conversation with Samina Razir, who is uh, Pakistani, and will give us more information. We'll take a break now and uh, and come back. Thank you very much. Thank you. Listening to the Kashmiri folk singer Raj Begun, and apologies for my pronunciation. The song is Wasi Gulan Aime Bahar. Raj Begun, a Kashmiri folk singer. Thank you very much to our wonderful man on the boards. I'm uh, still Paki Wheeland, your host today, with uh, Samina Razir, who is a peace activist and women's advocate from Pakistan. And we're talking today about Kashmir and uh, in the larger context of the the geopolitical issues that uh, that arise out of uh, disputes of this country and uh, and people wanting it. So maybe we'll pick up there. Samina, let's talk about the uh, the the question of what is the value of Kashmir for these other countries, for China, which we haven't talked much about, um, India and Pakistan. And I, I know you're Pakistani, so let's look at it through your Pakistani eyes. So I'm a Pakistani, but I'm also a peace activist and a global human rights activist. So I believe that Kashmiri people on both sides of the border, on the Pakistani side of the border and on the Indian side of the border, have the right to choose who, whatever they want their future to be. That is why I believe that the over 70-year-old promise made to generations after generations of Kashmiris should be allowed to happen. Let them choose. You know, the bigger part of Kashmiris live in the Indian side, not on the Pakistan side. Let there be a plebiscite under United Nations, which is an accepted body by all countries. 
let there be a plebiscite and let the Kashmiri people decide their own future. Maybe they want to have their own autonomous country consisting of both the Indian and the Pakistani uh, sides, which should be respected. Maybe they would like to go with India. Maybe they would like to go with Pakistani. We don't know. The point is that they have the right to choose about their own future. And we as Pakistanis, as Indians, as the whole world should support them in their right. Yeah. You know, you, I'm, I'm curious about this, whether this, this um, additional repression of the people, this, this stronger repression since the beginning of August, um, is that bringing this to a head? Is, are you aware of any of the UN, for example, taking any steps toward, uh, toward this plebiscite? That I don't know. And I hope they are taking. What I do know is that um, there have been a lot of uh, demands made to the United Nations, both by the government of Pakistan and by um, many other countries. I know the European Parliament issued a statement. Um, many other countries have issued a statement. And Pakistan has been advocating this on a very strong level that the United Nations Security Council should take action and um, check the Indian atrocities because people are dying on a daily basis. One of the things that they're doing right now in the Indian uh, Health Kashmir is that uh, they're using shotguns and attacking, aiming at the eyes of young men and women who are protesting. So there are several reports by BBC and Voice of America, and I know that many people consider BBC to be more credible uh, international news organization. So see the BBC reports that are saying that hundreds of Kashmiris, young people are becoming blind because the Indian security forces are shooting directly into their eyes. And all of these are unarmed civilians. So my biggest concern is stop the atrocities against the Kashmiri people. Talk to them. And their grievance is that Modi government did not talk to them. So you're making a decision about changing the political and geographical status of 8 million people's homes and you're not even consulting them? Is that democratic? Is that what what should happen in the so-called largest democracy in the world? Is democracy just a game of numbers? So that I think that the world needs to challenge India on its democratic claims and say, Okay, don't listen to Pakistan, listen to the United Nations. If the United Nation is saying, let there be a plebiscite, should be done under international observers, has happened in many places in the world, in, you know, Bosnia, in Sudan, in many other places. Peace has been negotiated. The whole creation of India and Pakistan was negotiated. There was actually no war that took place. The leaders of India, led by Gandhi, and leaders of Pakistan, led by Jinnah, negotiated this huge independence and freedom through very brutal <laughs> British colonizers. So why can't now India negotiate with the Kashmiris? Why, why does it have to force them into obedience through guns? Yeah. Well, I think... It, uh I'm really appreciative of your reminding us that there are 8 million people. Yes. And uh, the atrocities that are happening and that we need to be aware of this and to, and to take action where we can. Now, uh, you were saying earlier that Mr. Modi, Mr. Prime Minister Modi, is, uh, is getting an award in Houston, Texas soon. So I read, you know, about it just like many other Americans, that Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is giving an award to uh, India's Prime Minister, Mr. Modi, for for 
his work on hygiene and sanitation in India, making toilets and other. So, you know, it's a good thing, but isn't that what government should do anyway? <laughs> you know, governments are supposed to provide basic services to their citizens everywhere. Um, so, you know, it's up to, uh, independent, uh, rich organization like Bill and Melinda Gates to do whatever they want to do. But I question their timing. I question why are they giving this award to Modi, who is in uh, the U.S. right now, and they're going to have a big event this coming Saturday, and Trump is going to be at this event. President Trump is also going to be at this event. So what is this meeting of two populist leaders and what is the significance and why would you give an award to somebody who is being questioned by the whole world for its recent action against Kashmiris? And it's not, you know, some people, it's a lot of people. It's international media that is saying that it is independent human rights organizations, Human Rights Watch, biggest human rights organization in the U.S. that has always been very independent. They're doing a march in front of the United Nations next week to highlight the situation of Kashmir while the General Assembly takes place. So um, I have a problem with this award at this time. Sure. And actually, a lot of human rights organizations and people and citizens and, you know, Bill and Melinda Gates have many products. I don't know, is it Microsoft or, right? So the, even a, <laughs> lot of, a lot of consumers have also complained and said, don't give the award. And some high profile actors and celebrities and others have withdrawn from the event. But apparently, Bill and Melinda Gates are going ahead with it and maybe they need more protests calls. <laughs> You know, that's one of those those tricky questions, isn't it? You know, we, we're glad that people are getting sanitation and, and more of India than there has been. But uh, but at what price? At what price? And uh, and so that leads me to the question of of Kashmir and this, if we look at it, we've looked at the, the human rights issue and the, the, the repression and killing of of civilians, of unarmed, peaceful, sometimes demonstrators, sometimes just people going about their business um but so so there's there's that whole piece but that the question arises for me with all the the changes in climate the climate chaos i call it um tell me about this piece of of cashmere cashmere as a piece of real estate what's its value besides being a nice cool place to go in the summertime well you know what's the value of a home for anybody you know, <laughs> home has its own values, where your ancestors are, where your, you know, where you grew up, where you spent your childhood. So I think the value of Kashmir should be asked to the local indigenous people. What is the value? You know, it has its own value as a home. But in terms of its Importance, you know, it's geopolitical importance. It borders three nuclear states. I mean, whatever that means, <laughs> you know, and there's been four wars. So it's definitely an area that should not be left at the mercy of a right-wing politician, which yes. Prime Minister Modi is. So I would say, in addition to that, um, you know, there are six wa six rivers that flow through or around um, Kashmir. And again, that was uh, an issue between the two countries. But what really worries me is that the the road of negotiations and peaceful mediation of conflict is being closed in India. Because if you look at the history of India and Pakistan earlier, so these, none of this dispute is new. You know, Kashmir right. dispute is going on since 48. So is the Kashmir dispute of borders and waters and everything. But in the past, 
the leaders of the two countries have been able to sit together, talk about it. So there is a tr- an Indus Water Treaty between India and Pakistan, in which uh, through which they have come up with the solution on how to use the water. So you know, part of the water comes from the glaciers, from the Himalayas, and the three rivers are under the control of India, and three rivers are under the control of Pakistan, and they share the water. There have been issues like India has made a lot of dams on that water, which sometimes restricts the flow of water, and sometimes. Pakistani farmers and Pakistani government complains that sometimes India opens the water flow without informing, so there has been flooding. So these problems happen, but so far for the last 70 years, the two countries have been able to share the water, take care of the water, use the water. But personally, I have seen more aggression and more non-diplomatic and non-negotiated approach between india and pakistan since both the countries have become nuclear uh-huh so i don't know if it is more reliance on military approach to things as opposed to peaceful diplomatic approach because pakistan and india are are unique in some ways but there are many countries around the world that have common borders or common waters or roads or natural resources and you know that's what governments are um that they negotiate a way that works for their people but also allows actually i should say that's how government should be <laughs> to negotiate ways that allows natural resources to be used and replenished so the issue of water is problematic and now we are also concerned with this hostility so right now india and pakistan are not talking to each other all their channels of communication diplomatic lines are cut off uh they've called off uh, called back their ambassadors and that's very serious you know they should not close down the negotiations no they they shouldn't and, and is this is this calling back i mean that's another thing that many of us are not even aware of that uh the calling back of the ambassadors does um does that stem from the issue of of Kashmir. Yes, so it happened after August 6th. So so August 6th was this was yeah. this major moment. Yeah. Yeah. So just like Kashmiris are very upset that Prime Minister Modi did not consult them and made this huge decision of revoking these two articles. So imagine you know if you were a Kashmiri suddenly now your land will be bought you know it's it's a very difficult time for people to think about their survivals and neighbors so n- the point is what happened to democracy and negotiation and solving things together or even if india had to do that they could have consulted with the very kashmiri people or they could have consulted with their neighbors who has a stake in this issue or they could have consulted with the united nations that has a outstanding um resolution so this undermining of international institutions that we all have worked very hard to create and sustain the undermining of united nations is also a very dangerous thing so united states has undermined the united nations and many other countries and now india the so called biggest democracy in the world is saying we don't care about united nations resolutions and united nation as you know was created after the second world war as a body where every country no matter what their size is no matter what their economy is had a seat on the table so when conflict will arise they will talk about it and there will be a world body to deal with it so 
if India is going to undermine United Nations and its resolutions and the whole mechanisms, then other countries will also follow the suit. And then what will happen in this world where you don't have even one institution that can bring together governments, um, no matter what their size is? Well, we could do a whole series of shows on the United Nations, but, but I think it is important, especially to let our people know who are in New York, who are there for the, this opening of this General Assembly, that, uh, that we're, we're certainly aware of what's happening in Venezuela. We're aware certainly of what's happening in, with Iran and the United States and Iran in general. And, uh, and the appeals by, uh, Iranians to not go to war. Um, and we're happy that Mr. Bolton is gone and that, uh, we'll see what happens there. But I think it, it's really important what you're talking about today, this, this focus on Kashmir, because it certainly is something that has been very marginalized here. And, uh, and it's, it is certainly worthwhile. The, the people of Kashmir, uh, deserve the freedom that everyone else does. And as you're describing it, it sounds like there's a, a martial law. And, uh, and beyond yes, that, there beyond is, that. there's wholesale violence against the people. So there's not only the special police, there's also the military police. And basically, people are not able to go from one part of their, it's, imagine you can't go to the next street without crossing a check post. So it's really life under occupation. Thank you. Yeah. So I urge Americans to inform themselves themselves about what's happening in Kashmir. Look at the history, look at the developments, look at what's happening, read the news media, independent news media, and, you know, make up your own mind. And, and, and I think that it would be a historic mistake to ignore this situation. That is how genocide happens when people don't pay attention to signs, you know, when here is a very genuine fear of ethnic cleansing in Kashmir. And, you know, we didn't pay attention when ethnic cleansing was starting in Bosnia or, or before that, when ethnic cleansing was starting in Germany uh, by the Hitler and we didn't pay attention when it started in Bosnia or Rwanda. So I urge Americans and the whole international community to pay attention to what's happening in Kashmir and not let it be another ethnic cleansing in 2019. Yeah. Yeah, I just want to uh, punctuate your independent media that uh, the articles I read by uh, Vijay Prashad, who's uh, an Indian-American, in the tricontinental.org, certainly gave me some background to understand this and to be able to converse with you. Uh, I encourage our listeners uh, who are in the Houston area to go out and demonstrate there. Uh, If you're in New York, to demonstrate there. If uh, wherever you are, just to keep raising your voice and to pay attention, because I I think this is a, a terribly... Uh, this is a, a terrible affront to human rights and to people's lives and livelihoods. So please, um, the part of what we do is we ask you to, uh, to get involved and not just, uh, get informed because we certainly do need to be informed and you've been very informative today. And do your own research. Yes. <laughs> so my guest has been Samina Razir, a peace activist and women's advocate from Pakistan. Thank you very much and uh, solidarity with the Pakistanis and the Kashmir people and the Indians, all of whom want peace. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Bush and Bin Laden, you think they're foes? They're in business together. Daddy Bush knows the Carlyle Group since years before. Been raking in billions and itching for more. It's blood for oil, we know there's a link. They say code war, we say code pink. It's blood for oil, we know there's a link. They say code war, we say code pink. Go pink for freedom, go pink for peace.
was not Iraq, but Iran. They feed you lies, don't want you to think. They sick of terror, we sick of pain. They feed you lies, don't want you to think. They sick of terror, we sick of Hi, this is Tony Roberts, and you're listening to WBAI in New York, the voice of truth since 1960. Wait a minute, wait a minute, you ain't heard nothing yet. Hi, this is Virginia White of Earth, Wind, and Fire, and you're listening to The Sweet Spot on WBAI. Hi, this is Ruth Pointer of the Pointer Sisters, and you're listening to The Sweet Spot on WBAI 99.5 FM. It's the incredible Mr. Roy Ayers. Hello. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Tune in to The Sweet Spot with Baby K and DJ Kyle McNeil. Tell them what we do, Kyle. Every Thursday at 10 p.m., we will be featuring some of the best and soulful sounds with in-depth interviews with your favorite artists, special theme shows, and, you know, guest hosts. Yeah, it's a pretty good time, ain't it? Yep, because we're The Sweet Spot, Thursdays. 10 p.m. only on WBAI 99.5 FM, streaming online at WBAI.org. Listener sponsored community radio. We are Refining Faith, and we listen to WBAI in New York City, 99.5 FM. Hey, Maya, guess what? Kylie Jenner's new lip kit is out. Mercedes, are you really going to spend your money on that garbage? It's not garbage. She finally released a color I've been looking for, ginger. Mercedes, you can do so much more. Like what? You can donate it to WBAI and become a BAI buddy. What's a BAI buddy? A BAI buddy is someone who signs up to make a monthly donation to WBAI. Once you join, you'll receive a BAI buddy card and a free tote bag. The BAI Buddy Card allows you to become eligible for on-air giveaways and receive discounts at local shops, museums, and venues. And that's not even the best part. You can get all of this and more by donating as little as $10 a month. That sounds amazing. I want to become a BAI Buddy. How can I join? You can sign up at WBAI.org. WBAI.org? Got it. Thanks. And you're right, I can do a lot more at WBAI than with Kylie Jenner. It's all about supporting a medium that keeps it 100. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Rebecca Miles, and I'll be hosting my first solo Midnight Ravers show on Friday, September the 20th, 2019, from 12 midnight to 2 a.m. Join me as I present Tangled Up in Blues, where you'll hear many iconic blues women of yesteryear and today. So mark that date on your calendar, Friday, September 20th, from 12 midnight to 2 a.m., Tangled Up in Blues. Only on WBAI in New York, 99.5 FM. You know it'll be raver dynamic. The Midnight Ravers, where every show is a special. And you're tuned to 99.5 FM, WBAI, and WBAI.org on the web. Thank you so much for tuning in. We're going to the Gary Knoll Show in just a moment, but before that, I'm going to tell you about something that's coming up a little bit later on this evening. Say hello, this is John Kane from Let's Talk. With Indigenous Peoples Day still lingering in the shadows of Columbus Day, we have the perfect event to close out the summer. Join Shawnee Rice and I for a free screening of Even the Rain, 7.30 p.m. Thursday, September 26th at the Brooklyn Commons. The film uses a great storyline to address Columbus, his horrific treatment of Indigenous peoples, and how much of that abuse continues today. Come early for some meet and greet, and hang with us after to discuss the film. The event is free, but donations to WBAI are welcome and encouraged. That's Thursday, September 26th, 7.30 p.m. at the Brooklyn Commons, 388 Atlantic Avenue in Brooklyn, New York. And it's next Thursday at the Commons here at 388. Next Thursday.